The following audio is from our sermon series titled, The Whole Story, Genesis to Revelation. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. As Scott mentioned, this is really an amazing, amazing opportunity and a blessing to speak on behalf of the Lord to a group of people, to his flock and followers. Uh, I think it might be uh, one of the the biggest and best moments of my life. So um, it's also a milestone in my life that I want to tell you about uh, because I feel like God has been calling me to this for a really long time. Um, I'll start this morning a little bit by telling you that story uh, because I think that hopefully it'll encourage you. Hopefully it will also reflect glory unto Christ and actually relates very much to one of the main uh, characters that we're going to read about in our Bible story today. <clears throat> so there have been s- several distinct moments in my life where I feel like God has been communicating to me very, very clearly, like visually in my mind or in my heart, he is telling me something. I have seen things in my mind that have happened. Uh, and one of these such instances is speaking. I felt like when I was about 18 years old, God was telling me, one day when you are older, you are going to stand before a group of people and passionately speak to them. I didn't have any idea what I was going to say or who I was even going to be speaking with. I could just see it in my mind and hear it from the Lord. And it happened over and over and over throughout my college years. I kind of started to doubt that calling a little bit, to be honest, after I graduated college because I came, became a TV reporter. And you'd think as a TV rep- someone that chose that as a profession, <laughs> that I would very much feel comfortable standing in front of a group of people or speaking on TV, for instance. But that wasn't the case, really, especially at the beginning. That first year, when that red light turned on the camera, my brain would fog and my heart would race out of my chest. And I was barely able to speak. I was a complete wreck when I was unable, especially if that teleprompter wasn't telling me what, I, what to say and, and have a good script. And so, you know, I was starting to regret this decision to become a TV reporter a little bit, to be honest. But, um, you know, you'd think that going out in public would be really fun for me because for most TV reporters it was, most anchors it really is. People come up to you and say, hey, you're that guy I watch on TV every night. Hey, Oh my gosh, it's, it's so-and-so from TV. Look, honey, look, this is a person. <laughs> For me, in that first year, this, this is a true story, I walked onto an elevator, and a woman uh, walks in with me. It's just me and her. The door's closed, and she looks at me, and she goes, you're that guy on TV that gets really nervous all the time. <laughs> it's like, you really need to calm down a little bit. I mean, that was an amazing encouragement, great suggestion. Thank you so much. I'm very glad that you shared that with me. (sighs) That anxiousness carried over with me uh, into being a a corporate communications person. I can remember very well standing, uh, sitting around a table of just eight to ten of my coworkers, and again, my heart racing out of my chest at the thought of speaking up or giving an opinion, Um, you know. I would have to take deep breaths before I would even share my opinion with just a small group of people. And this definitely did not seem like the direction of someone that was headed to speak down or speak impassionately in front of anyone about anything. 
But then God kind of doubled down on me about four to five years ago. That vision that I was telling you about, that call, reappeared. But this time it was very much and very clearly in the context of church. It was sitting here in these seats where you're sitting that I felt like God was telling me, you are going to stand before people and you are going to speak about God. And at the same time, my head is thinking, no way, I am not doing that. I still get nervous standing up giving announcements at church. How the heck could I ever give a sermon? And I would tell God, you have a lot of work to do before you ever get me to come up and do something like that. But that feeling would pass over me again and again and again, and it would pass over me at church and driving in the car and sitting at home reading the Bible or going to bed at night. This thought re-entered my mind over and over and over again. It was very clear that the Lord was calling me to do this. And so after trying to ignore it and pretend it wasn't there or hoping that was going to pass, honestly, my prayer was, Lord, if this isn't for you, like, stop making this come in my brain. My heart is bursting with this desire to do this, and it makes no sense because I hate standing up and talking in front of people. Um, But I kind of gave in. I had to. So I sat down with Scott one day at lunch, and I looked him in the eyes, and I started getting teary-eyed. And I said, Scott, I think I don't want to tell you this at all, but God is calling me to preach at church someday. And so here I am, the moment... Uh, that has, I feel like, been leading up to since I was 18 years old. Uh, so again, it is a huge blessing to be standing up here in front of you and to experience this with you for the first time. Thank you so much for being here and for giving me grace as I give my very first sermon. And praise God that this is not about me, but it is about him and what he has done. So you pray with me this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for every person that is here this morning, hearing your word and getting to experience your Holy Spirit. I praise you, God, for the people who would be listening at home or who will hear this later on. I thank you, God, for the blessing that it is to speak on your behalf and what a joy it is to have this opportunity. Thank you, God, so much for what you have done, that it is worth stepping out of my comfort zone and it is worth uh, stepping into this moment for your good and for your glory. Be glorified in everything that I say, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are going to cover uh, quite a breadth of passages and chapters and all. We're going to be looking at 10 chapters in the book of Exodus. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3 to Exodus chapter 13. And if you read any Bible stories as a kid, this story will very much be familiar to you. We're going to be covering the 10 plagues, which culminate in the Passover and God's uh, leading of his people out of slavery in Egypt. We're going to see, because God has rescued us, that we must learn to trust and to follow him. The big idea for today is that he is worthy of our everything. If you've been following along in our sermon series, you're starting to see a theme. I believe that each story in the Bible is pointing us to one place, one thing, When looked at its entirety from very beginning to very end, the Bible is pointing us to the fact that we need a rescuer, and it's pointing us to our rescuer. Our story today definitely speaks that truth. The Jesus Storybook Bible titles these passages, God to the Rescue. When we enter the book of Exodus here, the Israelites have been in Egypt for 430 years, and they are under a pharaoh or a leader that has enslaved them. 
He fears their size and he treats them horribly. He forces them to build cities for him. And that's when we meet an 80-year-old man named Moses. He's been in exile from the Israelites because he murdered somebody, someone decades prior. And then God enters the scene of his life, speaking to him from a burning bush. Please open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now... Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God has a rescue plan, and I don't know about you, but if I were picking my A-team of people to lead hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt, I would not choose an 80-year-old murderer with a stuttering problem named Moses. And Moses is thinking, The exact same thing. Follow along with me, still in chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Listen to God's response. This is huge. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Lesson number one, Harvest City, is that God has uniquely called you. You can have every shortcoming in the world, and if God wants to use you, he will. In fact, that's the best place to be used by him. Do not be confused. Your works and your good deeds, they do not define you, and they do not limit what God can do in your life. Repeatedly in the Bible, we see a God that time and time again chooses very messy and broken, sinful people. So I just encourage you this morning, do not ever tell God no or not yet, because you are not who you think God could use. You are not who you think you are supposed to be yet. He makes that decision. Moses hadn't quite learned this lesson. He's not prepared to trust in God. And God reminds him that he is the I am. Think about the implications of that statement. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is speaking to Moses in a burning bush. He is foretelling Moses all the things that are about to happen. Yet Moses still doubts him. Does this resonate with you at all? Has God shown himself to you over and over and over and you question his goodness? You know in your heart that he is the great I am, yet you doubt his promises. Or you question his call in your life. I know that I am definitely guilty of all the above, but the encouraging word today is that God uses whoever he pleases. It has nothing to do with your skill or ability. He chose Moses. So if you have a skill or ability, it's because God gave it to you. And if he calls you to something and you don't feel equipped, go anyway. If he calls you to something and you are too tired, go anyway. 
If he calls you to something and you're too afraid, go anyway. He is the I am. Your inadequacies and insecurities don't matter. They only give him more room to work. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 2.10, When I am weak, then I am strong. God has uniquely called you. And not only has he uniquely called you, he has equipped you. Because after all, the Bible is a rescue story and you are not alone. We have a rescuer. Lesson number two for today is that God is at work even when you do not see it. We're going to pick this story back up in chapter 5 of Exodus. Moses has asked Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to God. So you'd think this is God's plan after all, so he's going to let them go right away, right? No, not at all. Verses 4 and 5 say, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest for their, from their burdens. We see Moses ask for Pharaoh to people, let the people go, and not only does he say no, but he makes them work twice as hard, and he beats them over and over as they are worked. If this story was about the Israelites' comfort, it would appear that God was definitely failing them. If this story was solely about making those specific people in that time in history happy and carefree, it would appear that God was failing them. Moses says as much in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. He said, Then Moses turned to the Lord and he said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to your people? Why did you even send me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Here's the problem. Moses doesn't even realize that they are in the first quarter of this game, and he's already trying to call out God. The text also says the Israelites essentially wished Moses had never come. Neither Moses or the Israelites have any idea what they're talking about because they are choosing to see what is right in front of them with their finite brains that are limited by time and space. Instead of looking up to the I am, the Alpha and the Omega, and trusting in him, they think this rescue story is about their comfort. But this is important to remember. This rescue story that we read about in the Bible is about him and his goodness. And God's plan for our life is not that it would always be easy. He never promises us that. God does not promise that he will immediately deliver us from hard circumstances. I understand that this is hard to hear, but this is really important. It is in these moments that are more important than we can imagine if we allow God to use them. Because we can know for certainty that he is at work in these hard moments, especially in the value of life if we allow him. Take heart that he is making you into the person that he has called you to be in the valleys of life. We also know for certainty that he sees you and he loves you. He knows what you're going through. God works all things for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8.28. God is coming to the rescue and he is at work even when you do not see it. God says it this way to them in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Say, therefore, to the people of, the is is of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm 
and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am your Lord, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. The Israelites, they don't listen. The text says they don't listen because they are so discouraged. They cannot handle the harsh labor. This picture of discouragement and loss of hope reminds me of a story of a woman that I admire very much named Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom lived during the Second World War. Her family was from the Netherlands, and they owned a clock repair shop. This family was deeply devoted to the Lord. They loved him with all their heart. And so when they saw that Jews in their community were being taken away to be killed, they made the conscious decision to hide Jews in their home. And for a while it worked. For a while they got away with it. But inevitably, inevitably they were caught. And they were brought to prisons and then concentration camps where we know they saw unspeakable horrors. God allowed them to bring four pages of the Bible with them into these concentration camps to bring hope and joy to hundreds, possibly thousands of women. And no matter how dark it got there, no matter how ugly and sinful and gross, beyond what we will ever comprehend most likely, they fixed their eyes on Jesus. Corey lost her dad, and then she, he, she also lost her sister and very best friend. But she knew in her heart, whether in this life or the next, God was coming to the rescue. She is quoted as saying, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. God is so good, there are also stories happening right here in Harvest City of people that are going through really, really hard circumstances. There is, that, that's honestly breaking my heart, but they are still finding their hope and their joy in Christ. One such great example of this is Brandon and Caitlin Davis. They have given my permission to share this. Uh, Brandon and Caitlin are going through the admittedly hardest period of their entire life. But listen to the words that are offered by someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus. And a little more background, Caitlin recently lost a child during pregnancy, and as she grieved that loss, she found out she also has to go through chemotherapy. But again, listen to these words offered by someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus as they walk through a valley. This season has knocked the wind out of me, forcing my hand and my heart to release my grip on my own expectations, to surrender to the one who holds all things together, who experienced suffering on this, in his life on earth, to bear the sins of humanity, though he lived a perfect life. Jesus suffered in ways I cannot comprehend, and because he endured the cross for me, I know he is with me in this pain too. This present suffering, it does not have the final word. Jesus came so long ago to save us from our broken lives, but he will come again, and he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This hope 
It cannot be placed on the things of this world because it is so much greater, so much stronger than anything humanity can offer. Joy in the midst of sorrow is possible. If you are feeling discouraged by the circumstances in your life this morning, if you are hurting, God wants you to know and be reminded, do not give up hope. Do not question his goodness. He is coming to the rescue. Harvest City, lesson number three today is that God alone can save you. In chapters 7 through 11, we very much see a God at work. Moses repeatedly asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, warning of forthcoming plagues brought upon by God. Each time, Pharaoh says no, and the Lord pours out a new affliction on Pharaoh and his people. The Nile River was changed to blood so that no one could drink. Frogs covered the land. Gnats covered the land and people. There are flies and dense swarms in people's houses. Livestock die by plague. Festering boils break out on people. Hail destroys fields and trees, and for anything that was left, locusts covers the ground so thick that it becomes black until everything in the field and on the trees was gone. Darkness falls over Egypt for three days so that no one could see or move about. It was complete chaos. It's important to note that in these moments, it is not just a beat down from guard, God, excuse me, harvest city, sin literally makes the fabric of the world come unraveled. Look around us. Wars, disease, hatred, adultery, broken families. The result of sin is everywhere. It is evident everywhere that we look, literally, even in our own homes. And just as many people do today, Pharaoh rejected God and hardened his heart still. The plagues culminate in one final scene that Jews and ultimately Christians remember to this day, and it is called the Passover, and it holds great significance to us. And before we get into that text, I want to first go to the classroom, as Scott likes to say, because any time that we read the Bible, it's exceptionally important to consider the time and culture in which these stories take place. So during the specific time before the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Israelites practiced a sacrificial system. And in that system, the people recognize that God is holy and righteous. And just as we profess today, God is 100% holy, 100% righteous, and 100% just. And thanks to God's providence through scriptures and prophets, the people recognized that they were not holy. They were not righteous. And when they stood before a 100% just God, they would be rightly condemned. To atone for their sins, they would offer sacrifices to God. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes the atonement by the life. Given this context, it would have made a lot of sense for the Israelites in Exodus chapter 12 when we see God call on his people to take the blood of an unblemished lamb and paint it over the doorposts on the night of Passover, the night of the tenth and final plague that God inflicts on Egypt. The text said that the lamb needed to be tanum in Hebrew, meaning perfect, blameless, whole, and complete. Read with me in chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, 
and all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Two huge things are happening here. One, we see God's righteous and just wrath brought down on Egypt's small g gods. The reality is that Pharaoh and the Egyptians are the perfect picture of a person who has rejected God. They are blinded by their own sinfulness. Their heart will not yield to God, no matter how many times the Lord's glory and power is put on display in front of them over and over. Their heart is hardened. Unable to recognize their need for a Savior, they have rejected the Rescuer. Two, the reality is that the Israelites stood just as guilty before God that night. The difference, though, was the blood of a perfect sacrifice painted over their doorsteps. God's wrath passed them over. What is being displayed in judgment on Egypt's land, animals, people, king, and gods is also revealing to Israel that Yahweh is the only true God of heaven and earth, and he is acting on their behalf. The events of the Passover are the ultimate demonstration of God's holy judgment of Egypt and its stubborn rejection of him of God's great love for his people, and of his power that is infinitely greater than all the power of Pharaoh and his kingdom. This is amazingly good news. More than a thousand years after God's wrath passed over the Israelites that night, the true perfect lamb would be born. He would be the atonement for sins once and for all. His name would be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And just as scriptures predicted many years before he was born, Jesus would live the life that we would, could not live. He would die the death that we deserve. And he would conquer sin, death, and Satan that we might be forgiven. His life is literally so influential that this whole world separates time by before he was born and after he was born. This story illustrates again that it is by grace alone and Jesus Christ alone and faith alone that we are forgiven. We have done nothing to earn it. He is 100% just, and he is 100% righteous, but he is also 100% gracious and 100% loving. He is the only way for God's wrath to pass over us. Think about it this way. In the Gospels, it says, on the night of the Passover feast, Jesus would eat the Last Supper with his disciples. That night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would ask his disciples to pray with him, to stay awake with him, They could not, and they did not, and he was all alone, crying out in agony to the Father, knowing what was to come. It would be the most horrific thing any person would ever endure beyond our comprehension. Holy, perfect, blameless, and complete, Jesus knew that he was about to take upon the sins of the entire world. He knew that there would be times in this life when you and me would look at him, and we would look at this world, and we would choose the world. And yet he still chose to say to the Father that night, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing the penalty of sin, he chose to be nailed to the cross for me. And he chose to be nailed to the cross for you. The last thing I think God wants us to hear this morning in lesson number four is that God alone is worthy of your life. Because God has rescued us, we must learn to trust and follow him. 
Open your Bibles with me one more time this morning. I know we've read a lot, but this is too good to miss. We're going to pick up after Passover, after the final tenth plague, Pharaoh finally relents and allows God's people to leave. We're going to read in chapter 13, verse 20 through 22. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The rescuer has come and delivered the Israelites. He is so near to them that he literally walks with them every single step of the way. When he moves, the people move. And when he stays in one place, the people stay in one place. Harvest City, I pray that your hearts would be near to him this morning. That we would walk with him daily. That we would fix our eyes not on the things that we are seeing, but the things that are eternal and that are unseen. If you are a believer, are you walking in this life in closeness to the Lord? When he tells you to move, do you move? And when he tells you to stay, do you stay? I think it's really easy for us to be like the Israelites who, when faced with hardships, question God's goodness. They literally thought that staying under the bondage of the Egyptians was better than God's rescue plan. They thought that being a slave was better than God's rescue plan. Are you believing the lie that your life and its path is better under your own terms and control? I feel that God wants us to know this morning that any part or plan that we make apart from him will never bring you contentment. Corey Ten Boom said this, If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. He is a good father. We can trust him with every single step of our life. Remember this morning that he loves you on your worst day as much as he loves you on your best day. And that no matter where you stand today in the midst of all the things that I've talked about, know this, there is nothing that you could do to make God love you less. I have really good news. This life is not about you or what you're done. It is about God and what he has done. If you feel God calling you to trust in his sacrifice for the first time today, please accept his forgiveness. If you have put your trust in Jesus, but recognize there are times when your faith is weak, where your gaze is in the wrong place, welcome to the club. He loves you so incredibly much. Join me in fixing our eyes on Jesus, our rescuer this morning. You can trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work that he has begun in you. I pray that through his Holy Spirit, your love for him would grow so strong as you walk with him daily. That by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he would be the first one that you think of when you wake up in the morning. And he would be the last one that you think of when you go to bed at night. 
I pray that through his spirit, your time with him in prayer and reading the Bible would impact your days and your thoughts and your reactions throughout the day. And that you would long for those moments that you spend with him every day. I pray that this community of believers would all be walking so closely with him that we would more and more reflect his love to one another and to those around us. Our rescuer is worthy of our life. Our rescuer is worthy of our plans. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our finances. He is worthy of our heart's desires. He is worthy of our time. He is worthy. He is worthy. He's worthy of it all. Will you pray with me, Harvest City? God, we thank you so much that you are worthy of our life, that you are worthy of all that we are. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives and that by your Holy Spirit, we would walk in this truth, that you would walk with us closer, that we would abide in you, that when we look to you, we would see our hope. We would know where our true life lies. I pray that we would move when you call us to move and we would stay when you call us to stay, that we would recognize that you are the only thing that truly matters. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.